You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along on what looks like weather-wise, it's going to be quite a wet one uh, this week. Now, we know that the new road links at the Dunkettle Interchange opened, we're told, as planned yesterday morning. Uh, so joining us with words of advice is Ken Perrett of the C103 as Street Fleet. Good morning to you, Ken. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme. Now, you've you've driven along all the new routes, have you already? I, I have. I, 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 I wanted to go out yesterday, and I, I said, no, I'll leave it until this morning, because I wanted to see what it was like kind of on a Monday morning. So I went out there this morning, just before half seven, and it was fine. Everything. It was actually a great day out there in general. Mondays can be a bit quieter because the kids are off school. A lot of people, I, feel, I find, work from home on a Monday and a Friday, so you'll see it being that bit quieter anyway. But... What they've done is they've really they've rejigged the whole situation, and there's no more traffic lights at any point of the Dunkettle roundabout. That's a big plus. If you're coming in from the east, depending on where you're going, it's it's just a new lane. There's a whole new road network built in there. It might look a bit confusing when you get there, but just follow the signposts. Get in lane early. That's the key. It's well signposted and it's signposted early on. So just get in lane. Slow down and approach it with caution and you'll be fine. But it's fabulous out there. This should be, there was no problems at all. The Dublin Road, that's usually the really busy one in the mornings. Absolutely no delays whatsoever this morning. There was a little bit coming in from the Middleton side and that was more of a slowdown than anything else because they have, in parts, reduced the speed. And people are giving out about this already. They've reduced the speed limit to 30 kilometres an hour in parts. I think it's only a temporary measure through the roadworks, but there were speed vans there this morning and people didn't like that. But as I said... It's people working in the area that they require a safe workplace no matter what. There's a lot of staff out there, a lot of football out there. So they just need people to slow down, obey that 30 kilometre zone. And if there isn't speed vans, people won't. They'll just they'll just drive on as people tend to do. OK, but the big key is the fact that these, these new filter lanes, these new slip roads, and it's just important to get into the right lane. I know uh, our, our own Ken Tobin on The Breakfast Show was watching it on the cameras and he was saying you could notice, noticeably see that people were driving slower to make sure that they were getting into the correct lane. Yeah, you have to. And a little bit of a bit of patience as well. If someone is in the wrong lane and they're indicating, just let them out. That yeah. is so important. But we're all we're all guilty of it, I think. No, it's Friday evening. I want to get home. But letting one or two people out in front of you, it makes no real difference in the big picture of things. And it does make that life that bit easier. But at the moment, things are looking great out there. Brilliant. So it'll just take people who regularly use it. Just it'll take probably a few days just to get people, their, your bearings as to where you should be. Yes, absolutely. And one thing someone else said to me as well this morning is just watch out for someone who might not have a cork reg in their car because the sat-navs won't have updated. So if someone is coming in, let's say down the Dublin Road, and they're using their sat-nav to get to Silver Springs, they might be in a little bit of trouble. How how long does it take for the sat-navs to update, you know? I have no idea. (laughs) That's an interesting one. We'll see if we can find out about that. That was one I wouldn't have thought about, but yeah, um, spot on. All right, listen, uh, Ken, thank you for that and have a lovely day and thanks for joining us. Thanks, you too. Uh, good morning to you. That is our own uh, Ken Parrish from the C103 Street uh, Fleet who was on the uh, new road links to the Dunkettle Interchange this morning. And I think good words of advice, just, you know, slow it down, 
it's well signposted. Check the lanes, make sure you get into the right lane at the right time. But then I think the best piece of advice he gave is to please have patience for other people who realise that they've ended up in the wrong lane, which God knows is something I am forever doing. And you're desperately trying indication to try to get into the other lane. So leave people out, please. 0818 103 103. Uh, John Paul taking your calls. Now, Noel has been on to us this morning to say he was really saddened and shocked to see the picture of the Taoiseach of this country, Leo Varadkar, along with a very large Irish flag on the top of a bonfire in Northern Ireland. Noel this morning says that he thought as a country, both the North and South, we've moved on from that kind of uh, hatred. And I know the Police Service of Northern Ireland, the PSNI, they're actually investigating this incident. It happened in Tyrone on Saturday evening. And actually, Noel will be glad to hear they're actually investigating it as a potential hate uh, crime. Uh, those photographs, those videos, and of course, it was I saw it on social media. There was a lot of social media um, posts about it, um, and it was uh, particularly the, there was a lot of social media about the construction of this. What is it? Was a giant uh, bonfire, and then of course it was all over social media when it was set uh, alight. All of that now has been studied by the PSNI. There was a large poster of the Taoiseach. It was erected on top of what was an old boat. They actually dragged an old boat up onto the top of this massive, massive uh, bonfire. And then, of course, on top of that, there was two tricolours. And then it was there was a placard. It was critical of the, the good... Was, I think it said it was the Good Friday Agreement. This ship has uh, sailed. And then there was a poster of Leo Varadkar, quite obviously a poster that they'd taken down from a pole after one of the... Uh, elections. Now, a large crowd seemingly attended the bonfire burning on Saturday night and cheered as it vanished into flames. Now, the Neil Varadkar, of course, was in Cork uh, yesterday um, and he was asked about the incident. Uh, he said he was aware of it. He said, I saw that image and I don't think it is reflective in any way of the opinion of unionists in Northern Ireland are the opinion of the general public in Northern Ireland. He said any time in the past uh, and indeed recently that he's travelled north of the border, he said he always gets a very good welcome, always gets a very good reception in unionist and in nationalist uh, communities. And he said that's from all sectors of uh, society. So he says what happened on Saturday night, he thinks it is the actions of a very small minority of people. He went on to say that it is not going to distract them in any way from their main mission, which, of course, is to get the Good Friday Agreement working again, again and more importantly, to get the Northern Ireland institutions up and uh, running. But it wasn't just our own uh, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar who was commenting. Unionist leaders have all come out over the weekend and have condemned the placing of the Irish flag and the picture of Leo Varadkar on this bonfire. The DUP leader, for example, Jerry. Ger- Jeffrey Donaldson, he tweeted that he said, I'm proud of my traditions, but if we want respect for our culture and our identity, then he says we must show respect to others. He said, burning the flag of our neighbouring state 
and a poster of the head of that government uh, is disrespectful. It's wrong. And he said it is not part of our culture. And then the Ulster Unionist Party leader, that's uh, Doug Beattie, he said it's simply not acceptable. He, he called it out as childish. He also called it out as hate. He said it promotes uh, hate. He said, again, the many are let down by the few. So it's good to see the Ulster, the Unionist leaders coming out straight away and condemning it. And of course, we'll see a number of bonfires, particularly tomorrow, because most of the bonfires, it's to mark the tradition of July 12th uh, celebrations, but they're always lit on the eve. They're lit on the 11th of July. So it'll be tomorrow night. There will be a lot of uh, bonfires. And of course, a little bit of the history lesson. July 12th, that marks the victory of the Protestant King William of Orange over the Catholic King Charles II. It was the Battle of the Boyne and the Battle of the Boyne, we remember from our history in school was in 1690. Now there's been controversy obviously around bonfires in recent years with election posters and Irish flags hung from stacks of woods. Now some of these bonfires can tower over a hundred feet high. They are really, really gigantic. And you think with everything that's going on with climate change, how bad they are, you know, taking away from the fact that it's, I, I have a thing about, I hate to see anyone's national flag being burnt. I just have a huge issue around the burning of a uh, flag. So to see our own flag being burnt is is really, really uh, sad. But on top of that, as I say, there is the, the climate side of it and the, what the damage it's doing to the uh, environment. Uh, but Noel, anyway, was saddened to see it and thought we had moved on uh, from that. But sadly, no. Uh, we often get complaints in about overgrown hedgerows and particularly if they're at a, a junction, a T-junction or a crossroads and people not able to see because the hedge, hedges are so overgrown, they can't see, you know, if there's an oncoming car. Heidi from West Cork has sent me in photographic evidence of an area where she lives where I have to say the hedgerows on both sides are so overgrown. I would say another few weeks of growth and they'll nearly be meeting in the middle of the road because it's a narrow road as well. And Heidi says, Patricia, this is what we have to put up with in Cora in West Cork. It is so bad in places where the hedgerows are simply overgrown. It can at times cause you to have to reverse your car uh, if there's a car coming in the other direction. It's a narrow road at the best of times, but with the overgrowth of uh, hedge, people are simply travelling too fast in these areas. And I'm afraid that lives will now be lost. I'm actually frightened when I'm driving on uh, these roads. The the town's land, the Barna town's land was widened a few months ago. What in our Lord's name will it take for some common sense to arrive at situations? Situations like this, other areas need to be widened as well. And Heidi said she's uh, emailed, and I'm assuming she's emailed on the same photographs that she's WhatsApped us this morning on to local independent uh, Dáil Deputy Michael Collins uh, to see if he can do anything about it because she's fearful that lives uh, will be lost. And I'm assuming landowners who are responsible for hedgerows as well and farmers in if they live in they must live in the area you assume if they're farming in the area they live in the area they must be driving on the roads as well I can't understand how they've let the hedgerows become that so overgrown particularly when it is on such a narrow stretch of road. And I would have to agree with Heidi, lives lives could be lost uh, because of these hedgerows being so overgrown. And I always worry about this time of year because we've got holidaymakers and a lot of people come on holidays to West Cork. It's such a beautiful part of the country. And I'm always fearful of people driving 
on the roads in West Cork when they don't know the roads too well and they wouldn't be aware that, you know, that they're approaching an area where it's very narrow and you've got to really slow it down for fear there's another car uh, coming against you. So Heidi, let us know how you get on with that. Uh, 0818 103 103. I thought I'd get a day without mentioning RTE, but it seems unlikely. Somebody by WhatsApp says, Patricia, I'm glad to see Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly are bringing legal representation with them tomorrow to the two Aroctus committee meetings. Hopefully, this will keep the committee to its terms of reference. All the talks nowadays about mental health and well-being, these committees have really turned into a bit of a blood sport. There's a complete lack of lack of respect and it's almost like they want to humiliate people. The snide, sarcastic tones of Sinn Féin Dáil Deputy Imelda Munster, particularly to Geraldine O'Leary, the commercial director last week, and the ramblings of independent Tipperary Dáil Deputy Matty McGrath. It's hard to see the need for two hearings on the same day. What questions will be covered in the second that won't be addressed in the first. The Public Accounts Committee seems to have learned nothing from the Angela Kearns case time to take a breath, dial back the anger and the rhetoric from these TDs who just want sound bites for their constituents. And actually, I read a really good, and, I, and, and it's shameful that I don't know who wrote it. It was one of those op-ed pieces in the Sunday Independent yesterday on somebody making a similar point, saying to some of the TDs on these committees that they need to rein it in uh, a little bit. And, you know, it's not all about constantly, you know, barraging the witnesses in front of them with questions, give them time to speak. Because last week they were shouted down at times and people were talking over them. So if you ask them a question, give them a time to answer the questions. Um, and there is the danger that if you you could turn the, you'll turn public opinion against the Oireachtas Committee mem- member and opinion will shift towards whoever's representing RTE. So I think they do need to be careful about that, but only time time will tell. But but certainly, uh, Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly are in for a hell of a day tomorrow. But yes, it has been announced that they are, as the term goes, they're being lawyered up, which I think is unusual. Uh, I don't know if that's a common thing to happen at an Oireachtas Committee me- meeting that you get lawyered up in advance. We might try and find out about that. Uh, How common is it? Now, the head of Cork's Support After Crime Services fears that a bill criminalising the recruitment of children into gangs won't achieve its aims unless parents are also held to account. I think a lot of people are going to agree with uh, Sally Handlon, who joins me from Support After Crime. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, Patricia, and how are you? I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the programme. Do you believe irresponsible parents actually play a role in antisocial behaviour of their children? I do. I do. And now, in some instance, you know, where you may have a dysfunctional family, where you may have a lone parent with three or four kids who cannot control them and who will not obey their, their, their direction. Um, but I believe that if you are a parent and you bring children into the world, you have a role, and that is to bring them up correctly, in as much as you can. And a responsibility you, for their actions? Yes. If you are aware of their actions, and when you are made aware of your action, of their actions, 
you do something to correct it. Like, it would be easy, easier if parents knew who their children were with. Because we're talking of children here, 12, 14 years of age. So, like, should they be out at night? Should they be hanging around in a gang? And I don't mean the big, you know, bad gangs, but in groups, getting up to no good, drinking and drugging. So, like, I always said back the years, you know, when people asked me to talk to their kids or schools, know where your children are at. Know who they're with. And if they're out at night, see them come in. Because you know their condition. Do do you deal with many victims of crime that was committed by children? By juveniles, yes. Yes. Wow. And they're random assaults. You know, if you have a recent one we had there now, it's where a young lad was walking home from school or his normal route home. He saw a group of youths with hurlers. Now, initially, he didn't take a lot of notice of them, but he could see they were coming at him in an intimidating way. And they belted him up. They broke his jaw in two places and destroyed his teeth. For nothing. They took nothing. They didn't ask for anything. It was a bit of fun for them. Goodness. And they didn't know this other young younger. No, younger. no, no. And he didn't know them. My God. And we had another case recently and rather than identify anybody where a vulnerable young man who was vulnerable, not obviously so, was sitting on a bench reading, looking at his phone. They were kicking off in the park near him. They thought he was videoing them, which he wasn't. And they took his phone and danced in it and gave him a few punches. And and people are afraid of them. And can you... But you do accept that there will be some unruly teenagers whose parents maybe are even afraid of. Oh, I guess, yes, yes. And we do come across that where they'll do absolutely nothing they're taught. They're out of control by the time they're 12 years of age. 12? Yes. Some, some, not some. all. All right, but, they, but they, the parents you really are targeting uh, are the parents who really don't know what their young people are getting up to. And if they do, they don't do anything about it. Like, if you have say, your youngster of whatever, under 16 or thereabouts, coming home with goods that they shouldn't have, be it cash, be it clothes, be it jewellery, whatever. Of course the parents should be asking, where did you get it? That has to go back. You know? Yeah, if a, if a child walks in at a 200 euro, brand new pair of runners worth 200 yeah, euro, you, yeah, you've, got to, yeah. you've got to... But but this new piece of legisl- legislation is to do with recruiting young people uh, into gangs. Have you seen youngsters groomed into crime? No, I can't say I have. 
but obviously they, they are in crime, so they got in there somewhere. And, I mean, it could be very attractive to some youngster, boy or girl, who is in dire straits for a few bobs and wanting to be a want-to-be, right? Yeah. They want to be involved. They want to be in with the tough guys. But they don't see that they're never going to get out. If they get in, they won't get out. Yeah for, many, yeah, for many of those children then, and they are children, they go yeah. into uh, adults and never leave that life of crime. I mean, that's fair to no. say. Yeah, that's fair to say. And if that's how they got in, eventually they will bring others in. They'll, they'll keep the pattern going. Yeah, and what about... It, the, it's very sad. It, it is, 100%. And what about our judicial system? Are we too easy on youngsters when they get caught and, and they're before the courts? What happens to them? What happens to them? They have no place to put them. So they adjourn the case, they adjourn the case. And, you know, I suppose our prisons are full. Our juvenile prisons are full. My one belief would be if somebody's made face up to the crime and be held accountable. And when people, when the Gardaí were doing the restorative justice, and that I must check out today, because that was a wonderful practice, whereas the victim and the offender and their families would sit in the room. And the victim would, ha- the offender would have had to admit it, doing what he did, and the victim and the family would get a chance to explain how the crime affected them. And there were conditions put on the, the offenders in and supervised. And I, I thought that was one of the best methods one could have. Well, we need, more, we need more of that. We do. Because I we can do. see some people saying that young people get involved in, in crime uh, because they know nothing's going to happen to them. They're afraid of those who they're getting involved with. You know, they, they would be teased in. There's just a small job for you there, John. And you'll get 50 euros for it. Whether it's a little drug run or whether it's steal something or whatever. And poor John will do it. Because he wants to be in. Mm. But he doesn't okay. realize he won't get out, you so, know. I, so I... Uh, I'll go back yeah. to what you said early, earlier to any parent listening uh, with uh, teenage children in particular. Know who they're hanging out with know, yeah. and know where they are at all, all times. And then there's a time that they have to be home and make sure you see them when they come home. Yes, that was, oh, I look, I read since children, Jenny and, and thank God they were all okay. But, you know, I still would not go to sleep until the last of those were in. And they always knew they had to come into the room. <laughs> that man was waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, listen, uh, Sally, are you are you busy at the Cork Support After Crime Service? We are, we uh, are. We're yeah. busy. During the court sessions, uh, the sentencing and that, and the trials, we get quite busy because we assist people 
with the victim impact statement. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it, it's worthwhile. But while I have you, Patricia, yeah. we're looking for volunteers in your area. Okay. Which area is that? Your Mallow, aren't you? No, we're, 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 we're all over the city and county, but go on. It's mad. Oh, it's, it's, that's, yeah. that's, that's better again. Okay. Um, like we, we need, when, during COVID, yeah. We lost quite a few of our volunteers. Okay. Through that natural causes, life's changed. So now we're, that the demand is as demanding as it is, we now need extra volunteers to give us a hand to help those who can't help themselves. Training would be provided. We're looking for common sense people who know what, a con- 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 what confidentiality is and abide by that. And they'll get the training and all the support. Okay. So and I they, urge somebody they, if they, they have can, a couple of hours. They can contact you how? <laughs> On the landline. 021-4320-555. We'll get them out an application form. And we'll take it from there. Okay, and we have that we have that number on file as well. Okay, listen, we'll speak again, Sally. Thank you for that, and uh, Thank th- you thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Sally Handlin, who is head of Corks Support After Crime Services. If you'd like to volunteer and get involved uh, to help uh, people after they become a victim of a crime, it's a, certainly a well well worthwhile service uh, to volunteer for. Now, according to the uh, latest MyHome.ie property. Price report, which is published today. House prices here in Cork have stayed flat for the third quarter in a row. Joining me to discuss the latest price report uh, is Joanne Geary, who's managing director of myhome.ie. Good morning to you, Joanne. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Is it too early or can we now start to say that the market appears to be stabilising? Yeah, I mean, it, it may be too early, um, slightly too early to say that, but certainly what we're seeing here is that in the last three months, for sure, we are seeing some signs of stabilisation there. Um, the previous three quarters, we had seen mar- asking price deflation, so a continuing cooling in, in the rate of um, asking prices. And what we've seen this quarter is asking prices on the rise again um, by about 4%. So, This has been backed up, however, by mortgage approvals figures from the Banking and Payments Federation um, from May, which told us that there were 1.27 billion in mortgage approvals in May, which was a record high. Um, And this represented almost 12 percent of a a growth in the number of um, approved mortgage home buyers out there. So what that would say to me is that if there's an extra 12 percent of um, mortgage approved buyers out there, that means more people chasing uh, less stock. So our supply is still very constrained across the market. So there's 14,000 properties available for for sale on my home at the moment. Before the pandemic, that would have been 20,000. So we're still we're still a fair bit off in terms of supply. That's a huge, huge difference. Okay, talk to me about some of the figures uh, for us us here in Cork and the differences Mm -hmm. between city and county. 
Um, well, in, in Cork County and city, we, we don't differentiate between city and county, actually. OK. Um, the, the pricing has remained uh, remained flat. So, you know, which means that prices haven't changed. So the median asking price for a property in the, in the county is still 275000 But that looks like for a three-bed semi-detached in, in the quarter is €280,000. That represents an increase of 15,000 in the year, actually, in, in uh, the three-bed segment. And in the four-bed semi-detached, um, that price now stands at €350,000, and that's up €25,000 in the year. Actually, when I looked at the data for Cork, because I was looking back on previous reports to try and understand why the prices stay flat in this quarter, Actually, you saw pretty dramatic price increases in Cork in quarter two and quarter three last year. Um, pretty significant price increases, 15,000 euro in quarter two last year and 10,000 euro in quarter three. So last year, I think in Cork, you saw pretty dramatic price increases. And what you're seeing now is the market and pricing kind of remaining um, at that level and uh, not going up, but not going down either. Um, in Cork in the last uh, three months. OK, and as you mentioned, the it's the, the housing supply is still such an issue. So I take it it's very much a, a seller's market. How, how quickly do houses sell? Well, on average, you know, the um, time to go sale agreed on a property is almost three months. Um, nationally, that's 2.7. In Cork, it's three months, which signif- signifies a market that's you know, um, actually moving quite quickly, you know, um, on average, anything over two and a half months would be um, quite a quick market, um, which means that people are people, both buyers and vendors are motivated to get the transaction uh, completed as quickly as they can. And that's a good thing, I Mm. think, generally for the market. Um, In Cork, there is good news there. There has been an increase of about 7% in terms of supply and stock coming onto my home in the last quarter. Uh, 1,588, 1588 properties available for sale on my home as we uh, in Cork as we uh, sit here today. So, you know, still a way bit off where we need to be in terms of ample stock to meet demand. You know, I think the main message here I would have um, for both sellers and buyers is that demand has remained remarkably resilient. We can see that in the mortgage approval um, figures and in those time uh, time to sale agreed stats that I've just spoken about. So demand is very strong, you know, and certainly, you know, what buyers should be hearing in terms of mortgages is there's an extra 12% of people who are mortgage ready to go. So there is going to be good competition there, I think, on pricing. You're likely to see, you know, some slight increase in prices um, over the coming months again. Our forecast is nationally is that asking price um, prices will level off at about one and a half percent to two percent um, as the year continues. So I don't feel the market is going to run away from people if they're thinking of buying. I don't think it's going to forge ahead into double digit inflation like it did last year, nor do I think it's going to fall back substantially. May okay. come back slightly, that's always a possibility. Um, but certainly looking at uh, the data from the last three months, it would suggest that it will continue in and about one and a half percent. And trying to solve this uh, sup- housing supply uh, issue, uh, Joanne, wh- where do we stand with new builds? 
Well, if we look at the data that's coming through on um, housing completions, it's we've had 13,000 housing starts in the first five months of the year, um, which is good, you know, and that looks like we're on target to complete somewhere between 30 and 31,000 um, housing completions by the year end. Now, that's good and it's an improvement, certainly. Um, but if I look at what makes up those housing starts, a lot of it is apartments and it's apartments available to the rental market. So that's not solving um, a housing purchase um, issue. And people, you know, will want uh, if they can get on the ladder to try and buy. So what we need to see is um, housing somewhere in the order of between 40 and 50,000 um, completions every year for the next 10 years to meet the demand that we have in the market. I say that especially because of the more of the population mm. increases. We've got about 5.1 million of population at the moment. It's projected by 2036 there will be 5.8 million people living here. We've only in, increased our housing stock by 120,000 since 2016 when people started coming in, into the country. So we're a way bit off. Um, we have 80,000 net uh, landlords who've left, private landlords who've left the market in the last 10 years. Sheriff Sturge had a report last week which told us that 6,000 private landlords have left the market since the start of the year. So that's putting increased pressure on rental markets. So, you know, it's a real issue. The new bills are are, are great and all of that and and, and what we need. But, of course, new bills take time. It takes an average from getting planning permission um, for uh, a new bill scheme to come to the market is about two years. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, depending on the size of it, like that, that's a, I'm generalizing. So you can't just flip the switch yeah. and it isn't expect an instant that stock fix. is going to be built in three months time. It doesn't happen like that. And, w- so and, I think and when you were talking about the amount of people taking out a mortgage, did the ECB interest rate hikes, did that have an impact on, on the sale and prices of houses? I think what you, you can certainly see is that interest rate hikes and cost of living increases has certainly cooled the market. You know, so if I was talking to you this time last year, Patricia, I would have been talking about asking in, in price inflation at over 12 percent. It's a, it's at 2 percent at the moment. So you can see what's happening here is that there's been a cooling on asking prices because demand has come back slightly, you know. Um, but you can see that demand is starting to forge ahead again now. So certainly interest rate hikes have had an effect on the market um, and it's it's certainly taken a lot of that frenetic, you know, frothiness um, out of the market. What we also saw in this report, because we analyse final um, sold price um, data as well from the, uh, the property price regulator. So what we can see here is that Last summer, people were on average paying five to six percent over the asking price in the final sale price. And uh, that, that was the premium that was being paid in the market. In this report, uh, we could see that that premium stood at about one and a half percent. So in general, the asking price, you know, in comparison to the final sale price, it's going up by about a percent or a percent and a half. Not in all cases, but on average, that, that's certainly what we're seeing. My best advice to buyers always is, you know, talk to the agent in the area. They're the ones that have very good local market knowledge and they'll give you a really good sense of actually what things are trading for, as well as doing your research on my home and looking at the, um, the PPR pages as well. OK, well done. Well done. Another great report. Thank you for that, uh, Joanne. And thanks for taking time out to talk to us today.
Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Joanne Geary, uh, Managing Director of MyHome.ie with their latest property price report published today. I have to say a massive reaction to our interview with Sally Hanlon in the last hour. Sally works and her her team of volunteers work with victims of crime to support them. And in particular, they're particularly good at supporting them when they have to go through the court uh, process. And as she mentioned, helping them to write write, uh, victim impact statements, for example. But she was talking about parental responsibility, particularly when it comes to children and teenagers who get involved in uh, crime. Mike in Bantry says, Morning, Patricia. Education is the only way out of crime. If you learn a skill be it welding, carpentry, gardening, etc. It gives you a reason to get up in the morning. It also puts money in your pocket. You're then able to save up, go on holidays and have some kind of a lifestyle. It is the only way out of crime. Someone else says, look what happened recently with those children driving a stolen car caused the loss of a life. Teens today, says this texter, have no fear of Angarda Siakona. They have no respect. Years ago, all these teens would have joined the army, but they don't seem to get involved in anything today. Hi, Patricia. There's absolutely no responsibility from parents on their 15 to 18 year old children. These children get away with everything. The law won't touch them. There's nothing out there in the community for this group of young people. That's the reason why they turn to violence and uh, vandalism. Martin Infomoy says that he thinks carrying hurleys in public should be banned. They can and are used as weapons. And that was one of the examples, wasn't it, that... Sally gave was uh, some other young guy getting beaten up by a group uh, carrying uh, hurleys but I suppose you have to carry a hurley if you're going to a match or to training but I suppose that would be Martin's uh, theory only if you're going to a match or um, to or from training but other than that you should never have a hurley out in uh, public. Hi Patricia on antisocial behaviour the country has always had a big problem with antisocial teenagers because they know that nothing will be done because there's no re-laws to stop them. I live in a fairly big sized town in North Cork and the antisocial behaviour that goes on at the moment is frightening. It's teenagers. They couldn't care less what they do or say. And guess what, Patricia? If you say it to their parents, the parents will get very nasty and turn on you. So, Patricia, I think they should. there should be tougher laws now to combat what I describe as overprivileged teenagers. And by the way, says this texter, it's not just teenage boys. Uh, teenage girls, in my opinion, are just as bad and at times can be even worse. And that is signed by a North Cork uh, listener. Catherine Skibbereen says a group of them headed into the city centre yesterday. Just wanted a little bit of a day out, a little bit of shopping. But she said she couldn't get over the amount of teenage gangs hanging around the city. There was two groups in particular that they witnessed and she said you could see they were just looking for a fight. At one stage, one large group took umbrage with three other young lads didn't appear to be doing anything but they took umbrage to it nearly started a fight it was on the top of Patrick Street near Merchant's Quay and then there was another group near the Grand Parade who were quite intimidating Catherine said there was a feeling of unease with what she noticed and she said it was teenagers it was groups of uh, gangs of uh, teenagers somebody else said children want to be like their peers as teenagers and they don't want to be an outsider a guy that once gave parents some great advice on the radio and it was to be known to your kids friends as a strict and uncompromising parent your child then 
can blame you for their refusal to drink underage, smoke, etc. And their peers will have huge sympathy with them and share the bad luck they have for the difficult parents rather than pushing them into anti-social behaviour. Okay, that's just some of the texts and calls uh, reacting to uh, Sally in the last hour. I mentioned about the burning of the image of Leo Varadkar and the Irish flag and this was on a huge, ginormous bonfire in County Tyrone at the uh, weekend. Hi Patricia, the reaction to the burning of Leo's picture and our national flag has been pretty much unanimous. Those involved are being reprimanded and if they were silly children with the added threat that their actions could be investigated as a hate crime. Hopefully this type of response will make organisers behave differently next year. In all fairness, King Billy is long gone. And even in his day, apparently, King Billy was a reasonable man. Those who still have their minds in the 17th century need to catch up with the rest of us. That's a great text. Uh, thank you for that. And then a couple of people were on um, reacting to Heidi, who sent us on photographs of where she lives in Cora in West Cork. And the hedgerows, I don't think I've ever seen photographs, where literally the hedgerows on either side are growing out on the side of the road. Give it another few weeks if they're not attended to and they'll nearly be meeting in the middle. Donny said the amount of wing mirrors that have been broken on trucks due to overgrown hedgerows is simply unreal at the moment. But as this is a road safety, and this is a road safety issue, Donny said people need to start speaking up now. They need to contact and inform all of their local councillors. And remember, those same local councillors, says Donny, will be knocking on your door next year because we'll be heading into local uh, elections. So raise the issues now and alert them to the issue. Fimber said he witnessed a very close call yesterday at the junction at Ballyderone Bridge in Kilworth. And he said that was the scene of a tragic uh, accident uh, a number of uh, years ago. And he said the overgrowth there, something needs to be done. And according to Finbar, he reckons the land is owned by Chagas. So Chagas need to do something about it. Staying on the roads. Hi, Patricia. I drove the new Dunkettle interchange yesterday. We spoke about that with Ken Parrish from our street fleet at the opening of the programme today. Now, keeping my eyes very much on the new layout, says this texter. I don't think I saw a sign for Cork City. Somebody did say you have to get to Mahon Point and then turn around to pick up the exit to Cork City. I was watching the road very carefully, says this uh, texter, and, and, and maybe they missed it, but she reckoned there should have been signage sooner for Cork, and we'll have to wait. And I know John Paul says he'll try and go out some evening this week. He didn't get out yesterday. Uh, he'll go off and go out on the Dunkettle and uh, let us know and bring us his thoughts on it. But just a reminder to you, the new layout, it's up and running. It's in since yesterday, and the advice we've been given this morning is... Slow it down. According to Ken Parrish, it's well signposted, but you need to get into your right lane. You need to get your bearings and it will take people time to get the bearings as to what lane they should actually uh, be in. I know, and John Paul will kill me for this, (laughs) it murders me when I call it missing dogs because he doesn't want to get inundated with people with lost dogs. But this one is tugged at the heartstrings because it's an older dog. 
Somebody says, Kay says, Patricia, would you do a shout out, please? Our 13 year old German Shepherd dog went missing. He got spooked in the thunderstorm yesterday evening. Now, this poor old German Shepherd is partially deaf and he may actually now be a bit disorientated and not able to find his way home. His head tilts to one side, so he's quite identifiable. And a German Shepherd should stand out if he's roaming around looking a little bit lost. And he is missing from the Liscarrel area since yesterday evening. So if anybody is in that general Liscarrel area, now they can go a couple of kilometres away if they run and get spooked with the thunder. So he could be a couple of kind of a, in a circular, about two, three kilometres anywhere around the Liscarrel area. If you spot a, a disoriented, partially deaf, Head tilted to one side, German Shepherd. Would you give Kay a call? She'd love to hear from you. 87 7 And Kay, fingers crossed. And we hope you get your much-loved German Shepherd home uh, soon. And someone else says, Patricia, would you say hi to my parents, Michael and Maureen Greeny from Ballyhay. They celebrated, wait for this, their 65th wedding anniversary that incredible 65 years married and there was a big family event held in the local corporate court uh, yesterday with uh, family members and no doubt they had a fantastic day out but their three daughters sons uh, sorry their daughters sons family members and all of the extended family want to once again say congratulations on 65 years of marriage that's incredible Michael and Maureen Greeny congratulations to you both C103 Jobs a preschool assistant is wanted to work part-time. It's in the new system, Bandon area. You must have FeeTech level six. You email your CV to littlevillage064-1313 at gmail.com. Aldi will hold a recruitment open day on tomorrow week, the 18th of July, from 3pm to 7pm. Now, they'll hold it in the Carrigaline Court Hotel candidates can bring their CVs along on the day or you can fly online at aldirecruitment.ie The farm in Grenna they've got vacancies for full and part-time chefs. CVs please to marie at visitthefarm.ie and a beauty therapist is wanted for an immediate start in Glengariff CVs please to info at glengarrifbeautylounge.ie You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Bantier, Lyre, NAD and Districts Community Councils have officially launched an objection to the Bantier to Ballymacquark Road project. And to find out why, I'm joined by Rosie Cronin of that local uh, community council. Good morning to Rosie. Good morning, Patricia. Now, firstly, it's not the roadworks that you're objecting to, but it's the road closure. Talk to me about what is proposed. Super. Thank you, Patricia. So, yes, you're absolutely correct. It is the proposed road closure that we have issues with. So what is proposed um, is that the section of the road from Bantier to Balmacquirk will be closed from the end of July to mid-November to cater for the roadworks to facilitate the new roundabouts that's happening there. That's that's a long period of road closure. Now, you do accept that you need, there is a need for this major road construction. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, Patricia. And in fact, Bantier, um, Lyre, Ned and District Community Council have campaigned for the roadworks here because we have seen how dangerous that this crossing is. And I think that's been widely accepted at this stage. However, when we were notified um, of the roadworks that were to take place, um, at that point in time, we were told that there would be no road closures and then, in fact, a stop-go system only would happen. So when we heard that plans had been updated to invoke the road closures, we were extremely concerned because of the risks um, that this is transferring to the local area. Um, we currently have a lot of users of this particular section of the road, um, not only you know light vehicles, but also heavy goods vehicles. Um, and to try transfer this risk into secondary roads is obviously of huge concern to us and also to the, the local businesses here as well. There will be an impact to those. And and like a stop-go comes with its own inconvenience, but people were willing to put up with the stop-go. Completely. So the stop-go has been in operation um, and I would say is working very, very well at this moment in time, right? Um, so, of course, people you know, wanted the roadworks. As we said, this is um, a major improvement to safety for everybody that uses this major junction in the area. So people are willing to put up with some discomfort, I would say, for a period of time, but to totally close a section of the road and for that length of time, um, you, it just brings a whole new meaning as to what this means for the local area, as we said. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, you know, whatever about the the month of August when the children are off school, but by God, when the kids go back to school in, in September, it's going to create a, a nightmare. Did, did Okay, did the council consult with locals before that road closure announcement was made? No, no. Ah. There has been no communication from the council. So we have been seeking information. There has been no communication from the council uh, thus far. So we raised our um, objection in which you may have seen, which has very quite detailed, a lot very of concerns. Very detailed, yes. I have to say. It's very detailed. Uh, just to let listeners know, uh, explain why you feel the proposal proposed alternative route won't work? So there is two different proposals, right, depending on the type of vehicle. So the first proposal is that any traffic that needs to um, originally go through Ban McQuirk but now may need to get to Kenturk or to Mallow, um, like good vehicles and cars will be to, will be diverted down the Clonmean um, road. So I don't know if you or any of your listeners are familiar with that road, but it's quite narrow in parts, and um, plus there is a lot of low-hanging trees. So it's not at all suitable for, you know, a lot of traffic. In fact, as well, um, it will, as you say, put a lot of pressure on the school because the school is accessible via that, um, that route as well. And we currently have a lot of concerns with, you know, uh, just traffic management as it stands at the school. So the flow of traffic down that area will actually exacerbate that whole problem. Um, but it's not only that, I guess, heavy good vehicles um, have another option to go via Dunamore, Queen's Cross, but I think it's circa 50 maybe kilometres um, additional on top of a route. So we have a lot of local companies who need or operate heavy goods vehicles who would likely use the Clonmean route again for, you know, accessibility. But again, that road is just not so yeah, so that's any. Yeah, that's going to put the HGVs onto that road. And remember, these were roads that were never built and designed for that amount of traffic or that type of traffic. 
Precisely, Patricia. So again, you know, we have lots of concerns as to the routes that are being proposed, not only because of the distance that it's now putting on, you know, um, I would say users of those, um, of the Banmacork route, but also the types of vehicles that will go on these roads. Um, so it, it's causing us quite a lot of maybe risk and safety concerns, just risk in terms of, you know, the flow of traffic, um, but also, you know, we have the Bantier Village is quite a busy junction, as yeah. you can imagine. So it's going to pose a lot of issues, you know, just in general safety yeah, around and, the area. And, and when I saw that they were going to close the road, what always comes to mind when they do a road closure, concerns about emergency services, if, God forbid, you needed to get an ambulance or a fire truck in. And that's exactly another one of our concerns, Patricia, noted on our objection, is that the emergency services are going to face delays um, with that as well. The other thing I will point out, right, with um, a major road, I would say, project like this um, and a proposed closure, you would imagine there should be a risk assessment that should be done to kind of understand, you know, what a closure like this might mean. But to date, as far as we understand, there has been no risk assessment um, completed, not that we have seen. Mm. Local businesses, are you worried for local businesses, Rosie, and how they'll be affected? We absolutely are, Patricia, not only the businesses in the, the immediate vicinity of Bantir, but, you know, the wider locality as well, because it is, I would say, a route that facilitates a lot of traffic to businesses, um, you know, in the Kenturk and wider sort of hinterland as well. So not only locally in Bantir, and we do know um, that a lot of businesses in the Kenturk area and the wider, I would say, regions have submitted objections as well um, because they are also concerned. It's, this is an interesting question. Somebody's asking about uh, the bus errand service uh, to and from the village. How how will that operate? We don't know. Um, and I guess with this, Patricia, you know, not only have we a lot of kind of safety and risk concerns, but there's a lot of questions that, you know, need answers as well. That is um, a point that we don't know what the proposal is for the bus errand um, route at this moment in time. OK, stay there because I want to bring in a business owner in the area, uh, Tarrant's in, uh, or in Bantir. Connie Tarrant uh, joins me. Good morning, Connie. Good morning, Patricia, and thank you for having us. Uh, listen, it, it, it's our pleasure. Were you shocked here they were going to close the road completely or will be closing it completely? We were, Patricia, because initially, I suppose, our understanding was, and we welcomed around the boat, we welcome all that infrastructure. It's about time, and, and to be honest, I suppose, with all, with all that welcomed, we were very shocked to hear of a road closure. I mean, it's going to be detrimental to our business and the local businesses in the area, you know. It's going to have a huge negative impact. And and it closes off of the village, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's it does, almost it, isolating the village. It, it is isolating a community, which is a, a very, very big concern for us, Patricia, I suppose. You hit the nail on the head there, emergency services. Like, we are isolated now from Kentork, which is the closest town. And I suppose, taking that aside, even the daily day, Small things, getting a bottle of milk or a loaf of bread. We've no shop here, no in the village. So, I mean, it's it's going to have a huge detrimental effect on the on the locality. Your own business, how how do you think uh, Tarrant's will be affected? I suppose we're in the second busiest period of our season at the moment, uh, Patricia, and like that, not looking forward to what's ahead of us. We get our cars delivered on the transporter, and there is no other access into the village bar the, the bridge in Belmacourt. It's crazy. It's crazy. And and Rosie, has the council responded to your your concerns and for, had they arranged a meeting, for example? 
No, there has been no, I would say, um, engagements, no local engagements um, thus far, Patricia. So that's one thing that we will be seeking is that the Cork County Council need to get involved here to bring this to resolution. They need to talk to the contractors. Uh, but this can't be done without local consultation. As you heard Connie there, right, he has business impacted. And many more people are concerned. We know that there has been a lot of objections, um, you know, launched on foot of this proposed closure as well. So there has to be consultation with, you know, local businesses, um, local residents even just to see what is the solution because there will be a solution mm. um, I don't foresee that the closing full closure of the road is the actual only solution here if we look at Patricia the works that are going on in the Dunkettle roundabout right now there was no road closures there and on a scale of I would say a project that's you know a more huge, significant huge, project yeah, yeah. no road closures there yeah. you know, why can't that be done here as well yeah absolutely absolutely okay so you're, you're awaiting to hear from the council uh, local council representatives who, who, who'd be your, your local council reps so we have John Paul O'Shea, Bernard Minahan. So we are, uh, yeah, I believe that there may have been. Yeah. There, there was a motion, I believe, maybe on Friday morning, but we still have no update from that at this moment in time as well. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll contact the council as well. Keep in contact uh, with us, uh, folks. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks, thank Patricia. You. Very Good morning to you. That Bye is uh, Rosie Cronin of the Bantier Lyon Nadin Districts Community Council and also on the line, Connie Tarrant who is with Tarrant in Bantir. It does look like it came as a complete bolt out of the blue and a shock to the good people of Bantir to discover that the road was going to close from the end of July, which is what we're heading up to the middle of July. The end of this week is the middle of July. So in about uh, two weeks' time and remaining closed until they reckon around uh, mid-November. And of course, mid-November would be all going well with, with everything in, you know, no unforeseen things going wrong in the meantime. It does, uh, I mean, and they've I, they've sent me on very, very detailed list of their main points of a concern and all of them, I have to say, are very, very reasonable. I mean, considering they thought it was going to be a stop and go and stop and goes can be hugely inconvenience, conveniencing for people, but they're willing to put up with this stop and go, but don't close off the village uh, completely. As I say, we will get on, on to the council as well and see if we can get any update on that and we will keep you informed. 0818-103-103. I can see on the new Dunkettle roundabout that we spoke about uh, the new Dunkettle uh, road layout. Uh, I must agree with an earlier texter. I also couldn't see a sign for Cork either. So the only option was to go to Glanmire. It took 45 minutes from the roundabout to get to Glanmire. It was crazy stuff. Okay. I will get John Paul to check that as I say he's going to go off on a recce for us and drive the Dunkettle roundabout some evening this week so I'll get him in particular to keep a lookout. People are saying that's the second uh, text we've ever day now to say that they couldn't actually see a sign for Cork um, on it. I was on the Watergrass Hill to the Tunnel Road heading westbound last Thursday and there was no sign uh, for Cork either on the gantry says another uh, texter 0818 and can I just for a sec stay with roads and accidents on uh, roads because I know a big bugbear for a lot of our listeners are e-scooters and e-bikes and people are always saying you know more people are going to get killed on those e-scooters and uh, e-bikes so I don't think some people will be surprised to hear there's actually been 54 serious and are fatal accidents involving e-scooters and e-bikes and that's just just in the last 18 months we don't seem to hear a lot of these uh, reports the latest figures follow last month's green lighting of the new law 
And this is the new law that's going to come in that will help to regulate both e-scooters and e-bikes. Now, under the new legislation, when it does come in, there will be a maximum speed of 25 kilometres per hour. I think that's still quite a speed to be on on an e-scooter or an e-bike. Anyway, that's what will be applied uh, to all e-scooters. And when the new law is in, uh, people will have to be at least 16 to ride on one. These new laws don't come in, though, until later on uh, this year. An e-scooter will have to be fitted with the front and rear lights. They'll have to have a bell. They'll have to have brakes and they'll have to have uh, reflectors. Because what a lot of people say to us about the e-scooters because they're electric, they're silent and they don't have bells on them at the moment so they can't even warn somebody that, you know, we're approaching or whatever. So that's going to be included in the new legislation. They'll have to be fitted with uh, a a bell. They also, when the new new laws come in, they won't be allowed on a footpath and they won't be allowed on a motorway. Now, I can hear you say, who'd go on a motorway with an e-scooter? We had that video that went around from the M50 in Dublin of somebody who had a zooped up e-scooter. He was bombing it down uh, the motorway. But the new uh, regulations are not likely to take effect until later on this year and until then. E-scooters will technically remain uh, legal to use anywhere in the country until this new legislation comes in. Figures were provided to the Social Democrats TD, Catherine Murphy. She started investigating it and she said that there were 18 fatal and serious traffic collisions involving both e-scooters and e-bikes and that's only so far this year as we come to the first half of this year and that's compared to 36 incidents for the whole of uh, last year. 185 non-serious injury traffic collisions over the past 18 months. 117 collisions occurred last year, 68 so far this year. Now many e-scooters and e-bikes, which of course are increasingly a popular mode of transport in cities and towns, many of them have been stolen in the last 18 months and these things don't come uh, cheap. 1,261 e-bikes and e-scooters were reported stolen last year and over half that figure have already been robbed so far this year. Catherine Murphy said the category of vehicle is intended to provide for a sustainable mode of transport. And she said that's got to be welcomed. But she said it's not satisfactory that the Road Safety Authority has yet to commence its safety-focused communications campaign, given the number of serious and fatal collisions that have happened over the past year or so. Now, every local authority will be able to regulate the use of e-scooters in their own respective towns. So that means it is going to vary from a local authority, which will mean it will vary from uh, one part of the country to the other part of the country. And of course, they're out of Dublin last month. I don't know if people I read about this in the papers. There was a woman, bless her heart, she was in her age and she died last month. She was in a collision with an e-scooter uh, driver. She was on Eccles Street and Eccles Street no, it was very close to the uh, Martyr Hospital. Now she was taken straight away to the Martyr Hospital but unfortunately uh, she died although a man was arrested uh, over that particular uh, incident. Uh, he was later released and I know a file has gone to the DPP so uh, you assume that that one will end up in uh, court. But shocking to see the number of serious and fatal accidents that have occurred because whenever we 
speak about e-scooters we people saying people will be killed well there it is people have uh, sadly been killed we need that legislation in and we need it sooner rather than later and time for our monthly slot where we talk all about things insurance Paul Cavanagh joins me from the McCarthy Insurance Group good morning to you Paul good morning Patricia I've just in the last few minutes been talking about e-scooters and and e-bikes because um, it's come out the amount of of serious and fatal accidents involving e-scooters and e-bikes in just in the last um, 18 months I think it's 54 uh, in total and we're waiting on this legislation we're now told it's not going to come in until the end of the year but even when it does come in it's people are saying why are somebody on an e-scooter or an e-bike they should have insurance but it's not covered well, this is part of the Green Party agenda and Minister Eamon Ryan. Uh, and I'd say the reason for the kickback and the delay at this stage is that in my estimation and in my opinion, the, the legislation is flawed. We need to have better rules surrounding it because it, the, there is a mention of a speed limit on, on it of uh, something like 26 kilometres. The fact of the matter is that the you can tamper with these things and... I have a video that was sent to me by somebody in Dublin of one of these e-scooters on the Nace Jewel carriageway coming out of Dublin, passing out a, a juggernaut truck. I saw it. And I'm, I saw and I'm it. Did you see it? I did, yeah. And, and I found out afterwards it was a zooped up um, e-scooter. Oh, you, you can, you can uh, zoop them up. He correct. was bombing it down the road. Absolutely. If, if, if anything happens there, he's in serious trouble. And whoever hits him is in probably worse trouble. Uh, but, I mean, there needs to be some type of legislation, proper legislation surrounding this uh, in relation to insurance. And actually, uh, the other day, one guy in Cork City nearly knocked me over uh, on a footpath. And then he went straight onto the road, across the road and onto the other footpath. Yeah. And where everyone is looking at him, at this guy in amazement. Well, well, part of the new laws are going to be that they can't be on footpaths and they can't be on motorways. Why anyone would go on a motorway and a scooter, I don't know. But at least they will come off the footpaths. Okay, but I suppose that leads us very nicely to what we wanted to discuss this morning. Who is going to police this? Because current Garda management, and I'm talking about the top here, seem to have a new way of policing in Ireland. I mean, we don't see any Gardaí on the roads. We don't see checkpoints. We don't see Gardaí around Cork City and around the towns like we used to. So community policing seems to be gone. And, I mean, the amount of drunk driving, drink driving, no insurance driving that's going on has has, has quadrupled. It's gone mad. And on, if, if you, God forbid, you, you're in an accident with an uninsured driver, what are the implications for the person who is insured? Well, the implications are there's going to be delays, number yeah. one. Number two, it has to be dealt with by the Motor Insurance Bureau of Ireland, which is the MIBI, which is a company that does all the, insurance pay, all the insurers pay into. It's an independent company. It's a non-profit-making company, so whatever they pay out, they have to get in. So if they pay out, for example, $100 million, then they must get $100 million back from the insurers. If they've only collected 80, as an example, then they must, for next year's insurance, they must pull in another 20, which means that you and I will pay for that in our insurance. It's totally, it's not fair. It's not fair on, on the law-abiding citizens of this country who pay their car insurance every year. And unfortunately, 
I'm seeing uh, huge amounts of this accidents involving people with no insurance or they're uh, uh, being drink or drunks, drugs involved, uh, people not wearing seatbelts, invalid insurance. And what I mean by that is they're not covered to, to be driving on their own. Uh, and then now there's another figure after coming out Seemingly 80,000 people who are disqualified on the roads for having more than 12 penalty points have not handed in their licence. What does that tell me? What does it tell you? They're I'm still sure driving. Everybody's getting worried. They're, 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 they're still driving. And I was reading a piece in uh, yesterday's Independent uh, written by our own Ralph Regal who was talking about road deaths in Ireland. They're 17% higher for the same period uh, in uh, in 2022 and in 2022 of course 92 people had died uh, in uh, uh, or 92 people have died in fatal collisions uh, this uh, year and it comes out that Cork along with Galway and Mayo we've the worst road fatalities nationwide we've had 10 lives lost this year so far that's 10 families absolutely devastated it's absolutely staggering. We're, I think we're we're up now at this very minute. We're at 15 on and we're actually up 23 on the comparative figure of 2000 and in, of 2019. So that this is frightening. This is really frightening, and it, it's painting a picture. You see of what's coming down the road, and that doesn't that doesn't look good at all. And are you fearful that some of that is drink and drug driving? I am indeed. I'm hearing more and more of it. Every single day, I'm getting very worried about it. And it's because, it's, it's definitely because the Gardaí are not out there checking it. And it's because it's not their fault. It's the Garda management that put it firmly back at their feet. Uh, when Drew Harris was down in Corkshire, he didn't even discuss it. This needs to be, this needs to be top of the agenda. Yeah, and last week I had uh, Susan Gray of the uh, Road Safety Group uh, Park and they very much support people who've lost a loved one due to a uh, road uh, traffic accident. But she was talking about the number of drivers on learner permits. Like, for example, that there, there's thousands of drivers who are on a learner a permit anywhere between three years and 20 years. Never sat uh, a test. And there's an anomaly there whereby you can apply for the test, just don't turn up. And then by not turning up, you satisfied the criteria and then you can renew and get another permit. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, I, I, I can tell you when the politicians have been knocking on my door, that'll be one of the things that's top of the agenda. And that could easily be fixed, very easily be fixed. And they just ignore it and keep on doing it. And not alone that, I think we said before, Patricia, that by not turning up for the test, they're actually denying a young driver the possibility of getting a test. So when we're talking about delays, seemingly the amount of no shows is yeah. frightening. Yeah, yeah. Frightening. Yeah, I remember we had we had stark figures and it was actually one of the reasons given for delays in people applying to get a test was because of these no-shows. And of course, they don't find out until the day that it's a no-show, so they can't even uh, reschedule uh, the yeah. test. And then the Gardaí have been out saying, you know, telling everybody you need to slow down. Well, this morning alone, and as you know, the weather wasn't great this morning, and I was on the motorway, and I was past, I was doing 120, I had it clocked at 120 uh, on, on the cruise control, and three trucks passed me. That is frightening. Oh, and they're big vehicles. 
They're big vehicles. Now, they were all rigid trucks, but at the same time, they threw water up on top of me. I had the wipers on full belt, and I'm going, ah, let's come on, this is madness. What? What's the rush? And uh, when, we're, when we're worried about people drinking, uh, drink driving, and I can't believe that we're even in 2023 talking about drink driving. I really thought that was a, a thing in the past. Do we need more Gardaí out breathalysing people the way it used to be in the good old days? Well, I'm going to give you one example. No names, as, as the person says, but there was uh, an accident in North Cork last weekend. And if the Gardaí were on the street, I doubt if this accident would have happened because the people wouldn't have driven through the town allegedly drunk or drink or drugs if they knew that the Gardaí were out. If they knew there was a checkpoint, they wouldn't have been out. So people are taking the chance because they know, they are taking they're chance. thinking, they are when, taking when the did I last get stopped and breathalyzed? Is what they're saying to themselves. There is... Or when, uh, I always say, when, do, when were you last stopped? Yeah. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. Remember back in the day, at the beginning of the month, uh, religiously, you'd be stopped to check your tax. Does that just, that, that just doesn't, but that, that's down to lack of manpower then, is it? It seems, it would, I, I'm being told by Gardy that, that there's more in, indoor work now and it's all about uh, getting uh, going to court and getting all the paperwork correct and that out, it's not out on the beat and it's not out on the policing out on the roads. It has dropped, the numbers have dropped and this is coming from the very, very top. So Drew Harris and Garda Management and the Minister for Justice need to get this sorted pretty rapid. Martin says e-scooters are death traps. I live in Formoy and the amount of times I have seen people on e-scooters going so fast that they're able to pass out a car. They're allowed on roads and e-scooters going so fast on footpaths while people are out walking. Footpaths are called footpaths for a reason. Ban these uh, scooters where they're, where they're not going to be banned, but they certainly won't be allowed on footpaths. And I mentioned there was a, a poor old 80 year old woman in Dublin who was killed in a collision on a footpath with uh, an, e-s- uh, an e-scooter. Someone else says e-scooters should have t- tax and insurance. Those that who drive them, I find, can be very arrogant, says this texture. If they, if they don't get if you don't get out of the way on the footpath they will just almost knock you down they're lethal in towns particularly when people exit shops it's a nightmare for people because they are silent and then someone says your current caller who's Paul Kavanagh of McCarthy Insurance Group has made a sweeping statement about e-bikes being a Green Party agenda if the Green Party didn't exist e-bikes would still be available we need to get away from blaming everything on the Green Party and when it's loosely thrown down uh, over the radio the TV it needs to be questioned. Sorry, I You're didn't. Uh, there's a correction there, Patricia. I didn't say e-bikes. I said e-scooters. And it is a Green Party agenda that these be legalised without having any registration, tax, or insurance. So I'm sorry. Uh, I think that stands for itself. Okay, listen, we have to leave it there. We'll talk again next month, um, Paul. But in the meantime, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Good, Thank you, listeners. Good morning to you. That is uh, Paul Kavanagh on our monthly insurance slot of McCarthy Insurance. We've been talking about the Dunkettle interchange because the new road links opened as planned yesterday morning. And earlier I spoke with Ken Perrett of the C103 Street Fleet. It was just explained to people, take it nice and handy, nice and slow. Get into your lane uh, because of the new the new layouts. You need to know which lane you need to be in. And he said it's well signposted. Well, Neil Vaughan has contacted 
contacted us to say, hi Patricia, there's an excellent series of video clips on the Dunkettle Interchange Roadworks and Traffic. It's done by Drone Hawk. If anyone wants to Google that and check it out. And Neil very kindly says that he works in the area himself and he would happily drive me or John Paul round for an hour or two if our schedules overlapped, which is a really kind offer. Thank you for that, uh, Neil. But if people want to take a look at uh, video clips done by Drone Hawk, uh, check it out. Some of your commentary coming in. We were chatting about insurance in the last hour with Paul uh, Kavanagh. John in Cove cannot understand why if we pay tax on electric uh, cars, yet there's no tax on electric scooters. He can't understand that. He feels it should be the same for all electric vehicles. And then Tom in Mallow. And I unfortunately only got to see Tom's question after I finish my chat with uh, Paul so I might get John Paul to get back on to him to see if he has an answer to Tom's question. He's wondering what happens if you are involved in a crash with somebody who is driving a car from outside the EU. In particular he's talking about some of the Ukrainians that have come to this uh, country. Some of them have brought their vehicles with them and he's wondering where do they stand with insurance? Do they when they arrive here need to take out Irish insurance which I'm assuming they would if they're outside the EU and he's wondering is there a scheme for Ukrainian drivers I get that checked uh, with uh, John Paul I get him to get back on to Paul and see if we can get an answer uh, for you and then somebody is taking what Paul said Paul Kavanagh said happened to him this morning he was on cruise control on the motorway so he was driving at 120 kilometres per hour and he said he was overtaken by two trucks well a truck driver is disputing that and said okay I wasn't sitting in Paul's car with him but this truck driver said there is no way my truck could have passed him out doing over 120 kilometres per hour. If I hit 100 kilometres going down a bypass hill, for example, you would be pressing the brakes because it would be revving out. The only way you could do that would be to take the truck out of gear. And if you do that, you're looking for a graveyard plot, says this particular uh, truck driver. And what he does accept, he wasn't sitting in Paul's car to see what speed Paul was doing. But Paul is adamant he was on cruise control and that he was doing 120 kilometres. Hi, Patricia. What about helmets for people on e scooters and also they shouldn't be allowed on footpaths. I got an awful fright with two youngsters on the footpath that came out of nowhere and you see they do come out of nowhere and they're silent so you don't until they're on top of you. That's why under the new laws whenever they come in it'll certainly be the end of uh, this year they'll have to have some kind of a bell so at least they can ring a bell uh, to tell you but when the new laws come in they won't be allowed on footpaths either. I don't know I, 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 I at the moment don't know if helmets are going to be essential and as part of the law or not I certainly can look into that and I know we will be talking more about it as we come closer to this new legislation being introduced and somebody says Patricia yes they are people on e-scooters are on the footpaths in Charleville and the speed of them says this texter is utter madness and I agree with Paul Kavanagh who spoke on your programme uh, today we really do need more Gardaí out on the streets and we need more Gardaí on uh, checkpoints did we ever see ever think we'd see the day where we'd be calling for uh, checkpoints and the Gardaí out checking cars and checking people for drink driving and drunk driving we spoke about teenagers early with uh, Sally Handlin 
and we were talking about antisocial behaviour that's going on and what, what teenagers are up to. And Martin in Formoy uh, says uh, he th- because Sally told a story of how another young lad was set upon by a group of teenagers who were all carrying Harleys and they bet the living daylights out of the poor young for no reason, absolutely no reason, just to get their uh, kicks. And that led to Martin Formoy saying that there should be a ban, that nobody should be allowed out on the streets carrying a Hurley. And then I in the defence said, well, you know, a young lad or young girl with a, uh, a hurl going to camogie or hurling practice or going to a match, surely they'd have to be carrying their hurley with them if they were walking to the particular match. Someone said it would be an easy solution to that, Patricia, with the carrying of hurleys while out in public, is that the clubs should supply all the hurleys and keep them in the clubhouse. So when then you turn up for your match or you turn up to training, you're handed your hurl and that you don't have to be carrying it and you can't be out in public with it. 0818103103. And then a listener has been on about a problem that she had while out shopping in the, this is the new Aldi store in uh, Canturk. She said they have a, what she describes as a new, in inverted commas, new system that people should be aware of and be prepared for, especially if you're doing a big shop, you know, a big trolley load of shopping. Or, she says, if you're bringing children or you're elderly or perhaps have a disability or you're less mobile. This listener was doing the big shop in the new Aldi store in Canturk on Saturday. I had a newborn baby with me. The cashier checked through my shopping at lightning speed and the tiny space for bagging the groceries, you know, to get them into the trolley was mounting high as I was trying to bag as fast as I could. Once he had checked everything through, the cashier asked for payment. I said, can I finish packing my bags before I get my purse out? But he said, no, I need the payment immediately as I need to start putting through the person behind you. I was very confused and he explained that it's a new system. The bagging space is now divided into two. Once you pay, the person behind you gets checked out even if you are still bagging your groceries. You must move and they must come around you in order to pick up their items. Now I had my newborn baby with me so I was under fierce pressure to bag a large shop as fast as I could. I had to move out of the way twice to let two people shopping behind me passed by. It was actually embarrassing. Although everyone in the queue thought it was totally wrong what was happening, I felt a total lack of customer service on Aldi's behalf. And I just wouldn't like if it was an elderly person in that situation or perhaps somebody with a mobility issue. Or indeed, if you had a couple of children and you're trying to watch the couple of children at the same time trying to uh, manage. Because normally, um, in, and it's a kind of a thing that they do in certainly both of the German retailers, Aldi, and uh, Lidl you put your trolley up and everything is meant to go straight into the trolley and then you bag in the bagging area and that's the way they are that's the, the system that they operate is to get people through the till as quickly as possible I mean it's the one thing about shopping in any of the German retailers they want you in buy your items get to the checkout get through pay for your goods and get the flock out of there and let the next person in it's sort of the model of which they use we, we uh, certainly our other supermarkets haven't taken on board that particular uh, model but this seems to be strange in that it's divided into two because normally the person would be cleared out of the way before the next person uh, would come so keep an eye out for that if you are shopping and whether it's going to be introduced in all Aldi branches I don't know 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 
103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now the 11th annual fundraising social dance is taking place in the Fergrove Hotel in Mitchellstown tonight. Music is by Peter Burke plus Molly O'Connell and Bachelor in Trouble. Dancing is from half past eight. Admission is 10 euro and all proceeds are going to the wonderful Marymount Hospice. Bingo continues in Butterfinch GAA Hall tonight at eight. They've got a jackpot of €5,650. There's in-house lotto and there's a mini jackpot and 50-50. And the Pike Theatre Group in Balancholic in association with the Cork Accordion and Fiddle Club. They're holding a fundraising event in Balancholic Rugby Club tomorrow Tuesday at 8pm. Admission is free, but donations will be taken for six-year-old Emma Molner, who's travelling up and down to Dublin for treatment for a tumour, bless her little heart. A Mallow Field Club are having an outing to Kilmallock tomorrow. They're asking people to meet at the Garda station at 6.30 tomorrow evening. And if you intend to go directly to Kilmallock, it's advised to avoid Butterfant. Why? Because tomorrow it will be the eve of Carami Fair. And an evening of ballads and folk music will be held this Thursday at the Palace Theatre in Formoy with the Kilkennys and the Fogues. Starts at 8. Tickets from the box office on 025 32042. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. Now, last week on the programme, we raised the issue of South Dock in Formoy with uh, local councillor Deirdre O'Brien, who is uh, fearful. It looks like the writing is on the wall for reduced hours at South Dock in Formoy. And I know Deirdre has a petition online uh, to try to make sure that the South Dock service remains in Formoy and the same hours remain in place. Well, there also seems to be a bit of a concern and a question mark over South Dock in Kanturk. And Fianna Fáil Deputy Michael Moynihan joins me to discuss this this afternoon. Good, good afternoon to you, Michael. Good afternoon. Now, you wrote to South Dock, you wrote to um, the HSE about the South Dock service in Kanturk. You're actually fearful of a threat of closure. Uh, correct. Uh, I suppose, I, you know, a number of people would have contacted me over the last while, the last two or three weeks, and we contacted the HSE to get clarification on it, and indeed your own programme would have had received calls about the future of the South Dock services in Kentuck. And uh, we got a letter back two weeks ago last Friday, the 23rd of June, uh, telling us that there was no threat to the out-of-hour service or that there was no plans to withdraw the availability or access to the South Dock services to the patients of the area. Okay. That was what was in the letter, so we said that is, you know, Thank God for that, because we want to keep our services within Duhalla. But I believe that letter to be incorrect. Why? I challenged it this morning, and I, I'm, uh, the information that I have is that there is a threat to the services, that they are looking about concentrating the services to the Maddow Centre rather than to the Kentuck Centre. And bear in mind, our out-of-hour services are on uh, from 6 o'clock until 10 o'clock on uh, the weekdays and uh, in, on Saturdays and Sundays. 
But so you already have reduced hours in Cantark? Yes, okay. we have. We have, but and like what we're looking at is retaining the existing hours. And from what I was informed was that there would be advanced engagement and with all concerned with the GPs, with the HSE, uh, with the communities. And what I have been very worryingly informed, first of all, I'm insisted that we should receive a letter in less than two weeks that that information is out of date. Now, I can't imagine that that information can be out of date so fast, you know, were there uh, negotiations ongoing when that letter was sent to me? And we rely on the information that were given from public bodies to inform our public of, of what is happening and the concerns and the, the that they have. And yes, I did share this letter uh, with people who would have contacted me about it. And that would seem to suggest that there was no threat to the services within Kentuck. But unfortunately, the information that I, I received uh, is conscious of that, and I'm waiting for senior people from the HSE and indeed SOUTOC to uh, come back to me uh, today. But in the interim, I have set up a petition and uh, to contact me, anybody that can sign the petition online or to contact us. We have had numerous calls uh, all morning, and I would like to thank uh, the people who would have called to me and who would have contacted me in the last 24 hours with information that was contrary to what the HSC had officially given us. And it's uh, important It's important just to read out the line that was in this letter that you speak about, about the South Dock service in Canturk, and as you say, dated the 23rd of June, and it says, there are no plans to withdraw the availability or access to the South Dock service to the patients of the area. And previous to that, they, they do say that if they were going to do anything, that there would be engagement with all of the stakeholders. Are you hearing of any engagement with any of the stakeholders, like no. the local doctors, for example? Well, I'm not privy to that information, but the, the real stakeholders here are the people. And bear in mind the Duhalla region, like, you know, on the the Carcary border, you're talking about from Barry Desmond, Rock Chapel, Kishkame, right over... Like and if you were expecting people to go for an out of our services from there to Mallow, is a quite a considerable distance when there is an emergency. It is wholly unacceptable. Like Duhalla itself has a population of somewhere in the region of thirty thousand people, and not to have an out of our services within, even though it would be limited to ten o'clock at night, but it would be an out of our services rather than having to everybody to travel to Mallow. I think it is wholly. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's worth pointing out uh, to to people in other parts of the the county that perhaps don't know uh, Canturk. I mean, Canturk, uh, that would be very much deemed a a rural cell for the South Dock uh, service. It has an ageing population that, funny enough, I only spoke about last week on the the programme. You know, it's one of the oldest populations uh, in the country in the Johalo area. It's little or no a public service. So, I mean, to, to lose an out-of-hours GP service, I mean, it could completely isolate people. Absolutely. Further, further isolate people. And, you know, not, like the engagement that they have had with the GPs, but it would clearly indicate to me that the HSE had not any engagement as of two weeks ago. And how they can come around and say, yes, they are going to change the hours. Now, I, I you know... W- we would have engagement with the HSE, but I, I understand that the pe- these personnel that I need to speak to are in a meeting this morning and that I will be expecting to speak to them this afternoon and will be updating you and your listeners as to the progress we're making. 
But to that end, we do need to mobilise and make sure that people raise their voice and say, this is not acceptable. This is completely and totally unacceptable. And all the stakeholders, whether it is the South Dock, whether it is the HSE, or indeed the GPs, that the service is retained within Kentuck, which is servicing a huge hinterland, uh, the Duhalla region, and it, it's servicing, you know, the towns of Kentuck, Newmarket, Mill Street, and all the villages in between, all of the villages uh, and the communities in between. And it is important that it is retained because, uh, you know, a trek to Mallow in the middle of the night for services is totally unacceptable. And, you know, there are challenges there, but we want to make sure that there is services within rural communities as well. Okay, so how can people get involved with your survey? Yeah, I I have the survey online on my own, on the Michael Moynihan TV Facebook page. And if they want to, to contact the office and just give their name, and we will put that to the list as well if they can't do it online. But anywhere that they can to raise their voices and make sure that we do, and like, you know, from any context that they would have within any of the stakeholders as well, that to make sure that they raise their voice and say, it is wholly unacceptable that the service is not, that the service is being lost to Duhalla, uh, to the greater Duhalla region. It has to be maintained in Kentuck. And uh, I look forward to the discussions or any from South Dock and HSC as to how they can, you know, send a letter one week and then it seems, as of now, it seems to be uh, uh, incorrect, the information that I was given. Okay, all right, listen, keep us uh, in contact on this one because this will cause great upset to so many people, uh, Michael. But in the meantime, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. And thank you for the opportunity to alert the people to the concerns we have. Good morning to you. Bye-bye, North Cork Dáil Deputy uh, for Fianna Fáil, Michael Moynihan, 0818-103-103. A lot of WhatsApps uh, coming in. Let me just see if I can uh, quickly go through uh, some of them on the listener who had the problem with Aldi and the new checkouts uh, that they seem to be using to speed everybody uh, through. Um, somebody said it's it's happening in all Aldi stores and it's all about getting the staff to work more efficiently. It will affect customers, but actually it's also putting the Aldi cashiers under pressure to work just to show how they efficient they are. If they show they are slow, they could end up in trouble trouble, says one listener. Well, I suppose Aldi will come back and say that's the reason we can keep the prices down as we get people in and out as quickly as possible. But it certainly uh, isn't convenient for everyone. But then somebody else says, Patricia, I was listening to the listener who had the issue with Aldi and shopping with a newborn baby. In all fairness, uh, the supermarket is no place for a newborn baby. There are lots of click and collect facilities in most supermarkets. I've been shopping in various shopping malls lately and the amount of children on bicycles and on scooters it is totally unacceptable, unexpe- especially when people are trying to shop themselves. Well, we are on school holidays and I suppose parents will say they have to bring the children with them. Uh, but yeah, some of them can be out of control inside in the supermarket. And I, I know I, I know the point that you're making. 0818103103. Somebody says, this is how I solve the problem. I simply refuse to pay in Aldi or Little until my shopping is packed. I move as quickly as I can and I never hold up people unnecessarily. Hi Patricia, I was coming in from the primary healthcare centre last week towards Mallow. I couldn't believe that there is now three ramps on the road. There was a motorbike in front of me and he went inside the yellow line to avoid the uh, ramp. 
Um, there's ramps on uh, both uh, and there's bollards on the yellow line on both sides as well, says Mary. And that's to uh, slow down the traffic in that particular area. Uh, Mary, it's the, it's the road I come to and from work and there are big speed bumps as well. I'll tell you that you certainly do have to uh, slow down. And then Kath has an issue with the on the trains, said hi. I travelled on the train leaving Dublin for Cork at nine o'clock on Friday night. Just before we reached Mallow, there was a recorded message telling people to change for Bantir Mill Street, Rathmore, Killarney and Trilly and we're all well used to hearing uh, that particular announcement. I got off the cha- train to change platforms as my car was at the Mill Street station. I wanted to double check so I asked a member of staff if I should cross over to the other side for the Trilly train. He answered and said I oh, God love there's no train to Trilly until tomorrow. Is this message being given on the train every night? Can you please check? So so. So did you not get to Mill Street then, Kath? I'll get John Paul maybe to, to ring Kath back and, and just find out what's going on there and we can check as to what is actually uh, going going on. And then on the Hurleys and banning Cork lads and lassies from carrying Hurleys out on the streets. Somebody said, oh please, don't ban Cork lads and lassies from travelling Hurleys. In Leash, we envy the way that Corkonians seem to be born with a Hurley attached to their hands from birth. No wonder you have all the All-Ireland winning teams. In Cork, youngsters are always ready to join in in a game with their friends. We don't have that same tradition in Leach and consequently, nor do we have the same number of All-Irelands. Don't penalise the good kids for the behaviour of a nasty few. And by default, this ban on carrying a hurley would stop the ad hoc hurling matches that happen right throughout the, su- the summer, leaving more teens, which get, with guess what, less things to, de- to do. Deal with the teenagers who commit the offences and encourage those who enjoy a kick around ball game or a puck about to practice and hone their hurling skills. The majority should not be punished for the reprehensible actions of the few. That's a really good uh, text. Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolly. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. A lot of questions, so I want to get straight in to them. Uh, Bernice in the city says, uh, hi Patricia, would you please ask Annalise, could you recommend something for a constant ear blockage? It's just on the right hand side. I've tried ear eardrops, but nothing seems to be working. Okay, so it could be waxed. Hopefully it is just waxed. So the ear candles are fantastic for that. They can be a little bit daunting for people who use them the first time. But basically it's like a kind of a waxed paper cone that you put into the ear and you light. And it creates a sort of a a warm vacuum that pulls, that melts the wax and pulls it up and out. It's brilliant as well for ear infections or anything like that. And there is a company called Otosan and they do one that has a... a a plastic insert that you can put in the ear and they also provide you with a little circle of protective circle at the bottom so that you don't drip wax on yourself and they're really really easy to use so that's what I would recommend first and foremost for the blocked ear Um, there is also something called hydrogen peroxide which is a kind of a bleach type thing you can buy in the pharmacy it's pharmaceutical grade and that can help dissolve very stubborn wax as well but I would try the ear candle first because that ear bleach does also affect the good bacteria in the ear which you need as well obviously. Okay, hi Annalise. I have a pain in my shoulder and down my left arm. I've had it with the last few weeks. Now I have had physio and acupuncture a few times but it's not getting any better. The pain is actually now starting to wake me at night. The physio says it's my neck. The acupuncture says it is my rotary cuff. My friends say it's menopause. Any advice would be gratefully appreciated. Yeah, 
could be any of those things. I yeah. Suppose, Patricia, the only thing I would say about the menopause pains in the joints is that they tend to be a little bit movable. So if it's the same pain in the same place all the time, I'd say it's unlikely to be menopause and more likely to be something to do with... Um, with structure, you know, a structural issue. Now, sometimes that rotary cuff does get inflamed. Um, and the lovely thing about natural supplements is that they don't specifically work just for one area. So if you take a natural anti-inflammatory, it's anti-inflammatory for the brain, for the heart, for the muscles, for the joints and for everything. So I would try something like that. Um, so the, the, the best natural anti-inflammatories are Boswellia, which come from frankincense, and curcumin, which is the extract of turmeric. So if you could get a combo of the two of those, I know that uh, most health shops will have one, a Viridian one of combo, but the one we use here that we get great feedback on is called uh, Nutri-Advanced, and it's called Curcudine 40, C-U-R-C-U-D-Y-N, Curcudine 40. And we get great feedback on that as a natural anti-inflammatory. The other thing you could try is a homeopathic remedy. Now, there's two that could be of value here. One of them is actually called um, Rock's Tox. And that's more for kind of muscular stiffness and rheumatism. You, it's good if you've got sprain of the joint or muscular sprain, uh, sprains. And it's for if you feel better after moving it around for a short period of time. So that's spelled R-H-U-S Tox, T-O-X. The other one then is Rotagrava. This would be more uh, relevant if it was the rotatory cuff because it's great for injuries to tendons. Um, and I found it great as well myself when I die self-diagnosed now, to be fair, with <laughs> plantar fasciitis. So it's very, that's very good for pulled tendons or anything to do with inflamed tendons. So you could try either of those homeopathic remedies. Okay, good luck with that. And somebody who's suffering with sciatica nerve pain in my back and it shoots down my leg. Um, and also I'm feeling it on the outside of both of my hips. Any advice on what might help, says a Mill Street listener? Yeah, the sciatica now, I, there's really nothing natural, to be honest, that I could recommend because it's, it's really where the nerve is so badly inflamed because of being mostly trapped. So the, the, the key really, I suppose, is to untrap the, that nerve. And that can always be very difficult because it might be because the disc is collapsing or there's a swelling of a disc. So, you know, that's a long term kind of a fix, really. So you could take the natural anti-inflammatory, as I mentioned above. But the best thing, and I've recommended this to friends, is to get an injection from the doctor into the piriformis muscle in your buttock. And that actually paralyzes the nerve from sending those pain signals down the, the leg and the bum, um, through the bum. So it actually is great for pain management and it might allow the sciatica then a little bit of time to kind of heal itself. So you mm. can take the natural anti-inflammatories then. But ask your GP... It'll be a consultant or a specific doctor that will do it. You'll probably have to pay for it, but it's an injection into the periformis muscle. And how long do, do, you, do you get it every three months then or something? Is it? I don't know, really. Yeah. I recommended it to pals of mine last summer and uh, they it, it sorted them out. So whatever their sciatica was, you know, what was causing, causing the problem, it, yeah. obviously fixed itself. So they only got the one. But I'd imagine you probably need it every six months anyway. OK. Hi, uh, Patricia. Crew, uh, question from Elise, please. It's regards castor oil. I've been seeing a lot about castor oil and its benefits on the internet for skin, for wrinkles, for hair, the body, for lumps and bumps. And I'm starting to wonder, is it any good or is it just a myth? And if so, is it easy to purchase? So, um, it has got huge um, popularity at the moment. There's been a lot of stuff on TikTok about it, Patricia. And, of course, a lot of the claims really are 
they're spurious, you know, they're not mm. proven. So normally, like, we have to remember as well, the castor bean is actually quite toxic. So I would be very wary about taking it in high doses. Most people take it as a laxative. That's really why it's taken. So because it just runs through you. So um, in that case, it's not being absorbed. Um, I would always recommend that if you're getting a, uh, if you want to take it internally, that you would get an organic one because uh, you don't want to be taking an oil that's been sprayed and that's holding on to a lot of toxic pesticides. So other very good uses for castor oil that I could definitely stand by is that they seems to does seem to encourage hair growth. So a lot of people use it for eyelashes and eyebrows. Uh, there was a lady in the other day who said she was recommended to put it on her eyes for dry eye. I don't think so. I think for dry eye, you need to put the fat in from the inside um, and take things like omega-7 from sea buckthorn and omega-3 from fish oils. Uh, I've also seen it for uh, wrinkles. It's no better than any other oil for wrinkles. To be honest, you're as well off with olive oil. Um, what else? Oh, yes, it's also excellent to use for a pain pack. So I'd often recommend it for people who have severe period pain. You put it onto a cloth and then you uh, wrap it around a hot water bottle and then wrap it around a, a towel so that you don't get it onto your clothes. And you use that as a pain pack. And wow. it's wonderful for that. Wow. Wow, that's an interesting one. OK, um, uh, that's where the internet can explode and some of it can just be myths. <laughs> exactly. Chlorophyll was the fashion this time last year. It was, yeah. It just yeah. gets shared and uh, shared. Now, an email into Cork today at c103.ie from Anne. Anne says, hi, I'm a 56-year-old woman who's getting spots on my face every now and again. Small red spots, particularly on the T-zone, especially my nose. Uh, on my chin, I'm constantly getting reoccurring spots that form under the skin. Now, I eat a balanced diet as best I can. Uh, wh- why am I getting these spots? Any thoughts um, are how I can sort it out, please? OK, so um, it could be a couple of different things, Patricia. Age 58, maybe you're still kind of hormone imbalanced a little bit. Or it could be sometimes these aren't actually acne spots. Maybe they could be um, allergy type spots. So it's difficult to know exactly what ones that they are. There is something called rosacea that sounds like this is it because rosacea kind of does affect the nose. It can affect the cheeks as well sometimes in people and, and maybe a little bit on the chin. Um, so what I normally recommend for any skin problem to start with just as a generic is the uh, Viridian Clear Skin Complex. It's a blend of different nutrients that support the skin but also the liver. So if it is hormonal or if it is like your skin will always act as a detoxifying agent if your liver and kidneys are not up to the task. So that's why if our diet goes to hell and we're, you know, parting like mad, drinking our heads off, our skin will sh- will suffer because it'll have to start detoxing. So this uh, clear skin complex has stuff in there to support the liver. It also has good bacteria for the face as well. So I could recommend that to start with. And then in terms of product use, we get great feedback on the um, Salcura Antiac. It's... Um, very, very gentle. It's not expensive. Buy the face wash and you also can get a spot treatment cream and you can also get a kind of a spray moisturiser. So I would, and there's very little to no chemicals whatsoever in this. So I would switch to that in case it could be the other, in case it's not acne. It could also be an allergy and that will cover all the bases then. Okay. Hi, Annalise. I suffer with high blood pressure. I am on medication for it, but I'm starting to get flutters in my heart sometimes. Now, I have had an ECG done and everything is okay. What would you recommend for fluttering of the heart? Um, Difficult one, Patricia, really, because I don't know what's causing. Like with natural, you always try and treat the root problem as opposed to the symptom. 
um, the symptom is often a flag, you know, so that's definitely something that you need to speak to your doctor about because it could be a flag for a skipped heartbeat, uh, which again might need medication or even a pacemaker, it's difficult to know. So that should be your first port of call. Uh, Magnesium is one of the electrolytes along with calcium and sodium and potassium. And it's actually often one we're deficient in. So it might do no harm to take a magnesium supplement for uh, a couple of weeks to see what that's sorted out. Uh, Sometimes as well in hot weather, Patricia, we become dehydrated because we drink too much water because what you're doing is you're diluting these electrolytes in the body. So actually buying electrolytes during hot weather when you're sweating a lot and adding it into the water or alternatively adding a pinch of sea salt or Himalaya salt into your water will provide a good balance of the potassium, sodium, chloride, uh, magnesium that our body needs to, to function properly. So you could try doing that, following that as well. And if that doesn't sort it out, I definitely would talk to your doctor. Yeah, absolutely. And then Marge says, hi, Annalise, I've just been diagnosed pre-diabetic, not overweight, and I consider my diet to be reasonably OK. Any advice, please? Yeah, well, that's actually a great way to be is pre-diabetic because you can actually reverse it um, and you can prevent it from being developing into full-blown type 2 diabetes. So for most people, type 2 diabetes is because of insulin resistance, which means that your cells, for some reason, have stopped living, listening to insulin as a signal. So it's not getting the glucose out of your blood into your cells effectively. What happens then is that your blood, it, like glucose in the blood, it's like too much sugar in your tea. It thickens the blood so it can be quite dangerous. So your body takes that out of the blood and stores it as, as fat. But then you'll feel thirsty because of the, the thickened blood and the need for to dilute it down. You'll feel low energy because you're not getting your sugars into your blood. And over the long term, elevated blood sugar causes problems to proteins and it damages your eyes and your small vascular tissue. So to improve insulin sensitivity, I would recommend following a low carbohydrate diet. You'll find 101 of them on the internet. So what it really means is that you're eating plenty, good quality protein like fish, meat, eggs, nuts and seeds and loads and loads of vegetables and you're cutting out all sugar and sugary foods and you're having only tiny portions of bread, pasta and potatoes. And then supplements that can help. Our first one I would recommend is the omega-3 fats because they will improve the cell sensitivity to insulin. There's also something called berberine, which is a miracle, really. It's actually, in studies, has shown to be almost effective as this new drug, the Ozempic. But you must be careful with your medication, so check your medication with the uh, health shop. And berberine is a fantastic one for improving sensitivity to insulin. You have other things as well, like uh, chromium, bitter melon is very good, and alpha-lipoic acid. So a blend of all of these will help uh, improve your body's ability and then the diet will bring it backwards and you can absolutely 100% I would say reverse it. Okay, listen we leave it there. Thank you for that. Um, have a lovely week and we'll chat next Monday. Thanks Patricia. Thanks a million. That's Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic and as always all of the information that uh, she shared with us today she'll put up on her website later on this afternoon as heard on the radio. That's healthhubstore.com that is her e- email her, that is her website address and actually Deputy Michael Moynihan has been ba- back up for people in the Duhalo area has been back on to us. People in the Duhalo area he has opened up a, an uplift 
petitions. So it's my.uplift.ie and it's Keep South Dock in Kanturk if anybody wants to sign that. And somebody says, Patricia, are you going to talk tomorrow about what we are expecting to see tonight on RTE Investigates? Yes, I'm actually going to watch the programme. Not looking forward to watching it. I hate anything to do with animal cruelty, I have to say. But this is an RTE Investigates documentary. Uh, It'll be broadcast tonight after the news at half nine and it will allege the mistreatment of young dairy calves at Marts and also investigate the journey which is taken by some of the 200 thousand bull calves which are exported from Ireland every year. So yes, we will take a look at that and we will address it tomorrow on the programme. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara who produced. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow at 10. Until then I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Wake up with Ken Tobin. Weekday mornings on C103. So a recent survey across Cork seems to suggest that we have little interest in talking about the weather, but not all of us. I take it you're the outdoorsy type then. You like to get out and do things. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Especially in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) Cork's More Music Breakfast with Ken Tobin. Weekdays from 6am with Newmarket Motors for the Volkswagen ID Buzz. Fully electric, fully connected and full of new ideas newmarketvolkswagen.ie Amazon Prime Day is the 11th and 12th of July with two days of epic deals on electronics home kitchen and more you'll feel like you've just won an award wow I didn't even prepare a speech um I'd like to thank my delivery driver for bringing my package so quickly the other Amazon Prime members are someone's feeling like a big deal Amazon Prime Day is the 11th and 12th of July, exclusively for Prime members. Join Prime now. Who said electrification can't spark excitement? From introducing Ireland's first EV to redefining the family car, Nissan has always led from the front. And now we're breaking new ground once more with ePower, Nissan's unique hybrid driving system. Fueled by petrol, driven by electric, no need to recharge. Giving you the pleasure of electric driving without the need to plug in. New Nissan Qashqai and X-Trail with e-Power. Drive it to believe it at your nearest Nissan dealer. Nissan. Innovation that excites. This October, the Jazz Festival returns to Cork City Hall when Spandu Ballet's Tony Hadley and band headline a spectacular 80s night on Saturday 28th, playing all their hits, including Gold, True, and Through the Barricades. Tickets 45 euro available from Ticketmaster.ie and booking fees may apply. Over 18s ID required. C103. Bring a little sunshine indoors for less than you think with a sensational summer sale at Harry Curry. Visit in store at Turner's Cross Retail Park or online at harrycurry.com. Harry Curry, see what's in store. On FM. Online, online, and on your phone. This is C103 News.